0: His love soul I'm excited about this truth, about who God is right now. God invented parties. All right? God invented parties. He invented celebrating. God invented joy. And I get a little jealous on behalf of God sometimes when I hear people talking about, "Oh, I'm going to go party. I'm going to go party." And they're not talking about the kind of party that God invented. And I honestly, get a little bit like jealous and frustrated. It's like, "Oh, man, if you only knew the party that God had for you." And I can I can be thankful to my parents right now that I grew up in a home where I encountered the goodness of God to where in reading God's word and God's scriptures and getting to know that the God who invented parties, that made sense. That you know, we didn't we don't have to go get drunk or get high and quote unquote party to have a good time. In fact, God has something abundantly better than that. Abundantly better, so that you don't have to seek a, a substance that chemically alters your brain to have a good time. That God wants to be so real to you that there is joy in. All sorts of different situations that then when you encounter parties that the world has to offer, you have a feeling inside is like, wow, this is empty. And I can say, praise God, when I went to college as a young man and went to the parties, just because I wanted to experience them, the first party I ever went to, I was holding a, a red glass solo cup about 20 minutes into it and feeling the utter emptiness of all these young kids just getting hammered. And, and I found this, this young lady next to me that had this empty cup as well. And we kind of looked at each other, and we're like, wow, this is really empty and stupid. You want to go, you know, have some real fun? Just somehow get out of here. And, and she said yes. And so a couple of other uh, of our friends from the first week of college left, and uh, we ended up staying up till about three in the morning, driving around San Diego, just having a great time, watching Happy Gilmore, just laughing, just having the joy of the Lord with us, and, you know, 25 years later, we're still partying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the empty cup. It was not because we just hammered it really quick. It was because we never put nothing in it and didn't need it because the Holy Spirit's even better. And so I want to talk this morning about celebration as a way of life, like God truly wants us to encounter his joy in such a way that we recognize he's the one that invented parties, and he wants that to be an increasing way of life for us. And so to do that, I'm gonna take us to the biggest party book of the Bible, Leviticus. It's in there. And then to the end of the story, which is a big party in Revelation, and show us how really all the way through God is, is so good, he wants us to learn that when we follow him, when we live in the rhythms of life that he created, that joy in his presence, a party, a celebration in his presence is actually meant to be a way of life leading up into that foretaste of heaven. So let's go to the world-famous party book of Leviticus. Chapter 23. If you're kind of new to the Bible, uh, people don't think of Leviticus when they think of parties. But it's in there. we got to dig a little bit, but we're going to see it here. In chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, God says this to Moses. And so a little bit of the context of that is, so this is Moses leading the people of Israel, whom God has just liberated out of slavery, liberated out of the the, the hands of the oppressive Pharaoh and, and set his people free. So this creative moment, this salvation moment for God's people, from slavery into freedom, into the promised land. And so right in the middle of that, they're in the wilderness, the wilderness of, and this is like, so spiritually deep what do we do now that we're not slaves to sin there's this wilderness of we don't know we don't know what it's like to have life outside of that tyrannical master what do we do and so God's building into them a way of life so that they know how to handle the promises the promised land so he's building in rhythms of life and in a way it's no different than us And that God wants to build in healthy rhythms of life so that we can learn how to contain all of his goodness and promises. And so in Leviticus chapter 23, God says to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, These are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. In other words, a, a, a modern day translation, not trying to overstate here. Festival, what is that? A festival, if you're a Spanish speaker or a Latin speaker, festival is the root of fiesta. Like, it's a party. So, a very real translation is God is saying, here are my parties, here are my holy gatherings, sacred assemblies. Sacred meaning holy, assembly is gathering. So here's the the ways in which I want you guys to gather together in a holy way that is a party. And then God goes on to share six different lengthy parties that are meant to be part of their calendar year. And if you follow, follow the Jewish calendar, they're still there, the six different, six or seven Festivals, some of them are like a day, some of them are like a week long. Where do they come from? The party chapter in Leviticus 23, where God lays out rhythms of life for his people in which having holy gatherings that are parties are meant to be part of our calendar. They're meant to be a way of life. Why? Why are they meant to be a way of life? Let's jump ahead into the book of Revelation, chapter 19, verse 9. The angel said to the apostle John, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. So, a wedding feast, that's still very much in our culture a party. Now, depending on which kind of wedding feast you go to, it might be a holy party or it might kind of end up at times being kind of that empty party. But a wedding feast is very much still known in our culture as that's a festival, that's a gathering, that's a party, right? We're celebrating. Now, what direction it goes depends on whether or not it's a holy thing or not. Is God the center of it in thanks and praise of who he is and what he's done in the center of a marriage and all of that or not? But we can all connect with, oh, yeah. A wedding feast. That's a party. That's how all of eternity is described. All of heaven. All of eternity is described as the wedding feast of the Lamb. With the picture of of, of God being the bridegroom and the people of God being the bride. That's that kind of level of closeness. It's an analogy, a picture of how close God wants to be with his people. How present, how real how intimate the love that is shared between God and his people. It is nothing short of a wedding feast, a celebration for all eternity, a party for eternity. And Jesus draws the same metaphor multiple times in his parables. When he's teaching about who God is and what is heaven like, he speaks of a wedding feast again, saying the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast and in that very famous parable of the good stewards where God has given everybody in life talents and now our job, living under his grace, where we're wrapped in his righteousness, our job is to be good stewards with what God has given us. And the, the highlight of the story is that we want to be this person at the end of our days who hears what? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's very famous, but now what? Verse 23 of Matthew 25. Enter into the joy of your master. So there's this sense of like, come on into the party. That's what we long for in life is to hear the words at the end of our days where God says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Now come on into the joy of your master. I'm opening the doors. Welcome to the party. Enter into the joy. That's where it's all headed. If we don't think it's headed for joy, we're not listening to the point of it all. Jesus describes in that one word eternal life. Now, there are other things that go along with it, but in that parable, Jesus summarizes all of heaven with the word joy as something that we're invited into. And it fits perfectly with the Revelation passage and the other teachings of Jesus that that say heaven is like that, that wedding feast. It's the ongoing party with God. It says something so profound about the nature of God. And this is to me where it's worth, outside of this message, into this week, pondering, what does it say about the nature of God? that god invented parties wants us to learn how to party well says all of heaven is a party and it's about joy in his presence what does that say about god it's tremendous i mean i know it's changed my life to 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 encounter god as the one who as the one who is up there setting forth a bunch of rules and regulations and restrictions to hold us back. That's a, that is utterly the opposite concept of how God wants to be known. The only time he's ever holding us back is from the things that will kill you, like a good parent. Like a, a good parent sets healthy boundaries. No, son, don't put your hand on that hot stove. Oh, you're just trying to hold me back, dad. You're such a loser. It's like, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Please trust me. You don't want to go down that road. It's bad for you. If there's ever a prohibition in the Bible, it's because God, our perfect heavenly Father, knows what's best for us and doesn't want us to destroy our soul. He's not inherently restrictive to hold us back. It's only to protect us. The the core nature of God is enter into the joy of your master. That, oh, it's like, God, transform my heart to trust that. To believe that that's who you are. To know you, not just believe, but man, I want to encounter that now. I want to know you in that way now, God. It will transform your life. Let's go back into Leviticus here. And show how... God teaches his people to make parties a regular way of life, a rhythm of life. And though we don't practice all of the, the Jewish festivals, although they're great, and I think to the degree that you, you know, get into it, they're, they're incredible. They point to Jesus. They, they point to th- thanksgiving. They point to praise. They, they are all wonderful things to practice. And in addition... There are many other ways in our life to put in healthy rhythms of celebration that achieve the, the same things that God is going after here in the book of Leviticus. So let's, let's dig into it. The, the bottom line is, with God inventing parties and entering into the joy of our master is our coming future in heaven, he wants us to practice for heaven now. By learning how to make holy parties, holy celebration, a way of life. It's a great privilege. An unbelievably good privilege. So Leviticus 23. If you're following in the lift notes, the idea here is that celebrations, parties, holy gatherings, are a God-designed rhythm of life. You think of rhythm of life. We eat, we sleep, we breathe, we gotta drink water. There's these certain rhythms that keep us alive physically. And all throughout God's Word, He shows us there are rhythms that bring us alive and keep us alive spiritually. If you were with us looking at some of those core foundational discipleship tools, that tool of the semicircle, the idea of abiding in Christ in order to bear good fruit that's those rhythms of life. What are we doing kind of those core things that that help us commune with God, connect with God, stay with God, live in God's presence so that our life bears good fruit. Rhythms of life. And so, that's what we're looking at here. Leviticus 23. We already read verses 1 to 2 about the appointed festivals that are sacred assemblies And I want to make one other point in verse 3. There are six days when you work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. Wherever you live, it's a Sabbath to the Lord. So the one other connector I want to make here is, as we're going to get into seeing these six different festivals, these rhythms of life, that God has called his people to live under, to practice how to party, so to speak, as a way of life. All of them are under the heading of Sabbath. They're all under the Sabbath day. Some of them are on the Sabbath day. Some of them are a week long where it starts on a Sabbath day and then finishes on the Sabbath day. And the idea is you take an entire week of Sabbath as i said right here so all of them are under god's good design of sabbath which is it literally just means rest and it takes us back to the book of genesis that we looked at in the whole rhythms of life idea that we are made to live life from the overflow of communion with god if you want to be a powerful person a successful person a holy spirit fruit filled person, then you follow the order of creation found in Genesis, where the first day of life for humanity was the Sabbath. Our first day of life is meant to be a a day of connection with God, not working, resting in God's presence, learning how to dwell with God, be with God, connect with God. And that fills us up to then go out into the work week, whatever that means, go out into the challenges of the week and have an overflow because you're communing with God and starting there. Now life can overflow where you can shine the good news with others. You can share the good news of who God is. You can have good fruit to share. We can't do it on our own strength is the message. Don't try to live life uh, disconnected from God. You will bear stinky fruit. It's Life starts by being connected to God, and then we go out and live. That's the rhythm of life in creation, that Sabbath rhythm. And now, fast forward into Leviticus, no surprise, as God sets up these holy parties, they're all under that umbrella of the way of life of the Sabbath. He's going to set up these six or seven times throughout the year where not just on one day, but take two or three days. Take a whole week and live the Sabbath. Thank God for what he's done. Praise God for who he is. Enjoy his presence. Enjoy his good gifts that are all around you. And then get filled up in that process and then go out and keep living life, shining the goodness of God. So, Let's look at just a few here to show that point. In Leviticus 23, 37 and 38, now this is towards the end of the chapter, the author summarizes what God has taught. What is the point of this teaching on celebrations? And here it is. Sometimes it's like, you know, you go to the end of the story to find out the point, then it helps you understand the beginning. Here we go. And that's that's the case for this chapter. Verse 37, so these are the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its proper day, because the Lord's Sabbaths and besides your gifts and besides all your vow offerings and besides all your free offerings Which you give to the Lord. So the idea is God sets up this calendar. I know this language is very foreign, but the basic idea is all these Sabbath parties, whether they be a day, a few days, or a week, they are all built in rhythms of Sabbath celebration. So you bring your thanks, you bring your praise, you bring your awareness of God's goodness in your life, and you turn it into a big party in honor of God. And do that six, seven times a year as a rhythm of life to keep you grounded. What is life all about? Where does life begin? Life begins with God communion with God, and then it all is ultimately all about being with God, recognizing his goodness, and living a life then of thanks and praise. We sang it this morning. To worship you, I live. So to take that worship that comes forth from slowing down from the busyness of life, having that Sabbath celebration where we are resting in God's presence, praising Him for who He is, reflecting and remembering all that He's done in our life, and it wells up into thanks and praise, and then we carry that out into life. A couple key things. I've been saying it already, but just to highlight, how do we celebrate well so that it's a good, holy party? Thanks and praise. Thanks and praise. It's right here in the first festival that God calls his people to celebrate. Leviticus 23, 4-8. to The Passover feast and the feast of the unleavened bread. Look at the spiritual principles here that God is laying down. Verse 4. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations or gatherings, which you shall proclaim at the appointed time for them. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation, a holy gathering. You shall not do any ordinary work. So there's the Sabbath. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. Seven days. A whole week. On the seventh day is a holy gathering again. And you shall not do any work. So it's this week-long party. It starts with Sabbath. It ends with Sabbath. Take a whole week. Set it apart as as a party to honor God for what he has done. To give God thanks. And praise for what he's done and who he is in your life. In this particular one, it's talking about the Passover. So that is God's salvation that he brought to the people of Israel. That he said, you are my beloved. I choose you. I take the initiative to save you out of slavery. And set you free. To go live in the promised land. For you to be my people and I to be your God. You are my beloved, much like Christ, who is the Passover lamb. That's what we say, right? He is the Passover lamb who said by his blood, he is creating a new covenant, a new way of relating God and people where God welcomes us into his family. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, but he wraps us in his perfection, in his righteousness. He declares us holy, blameless, forgiven, and heirs of all of heaven along with Christ. So Christ took on what we deserve, that separation from God, so that he could give us what he deserves, which is the inheritance of all of heaven. And so for that we say he is the Passover lamb. And God is being so simple here. He's saying, take, (laughs) this is so awe-inspiring, what God has done for you whether it's the Jews 3,000 years ago setting them free from the slavery in Egypt or Christ 2,000 years ago setting us free from slavery to sin, it is worthy of thanks and praise. It is worthy of remembering in a way where you set apart a day, a Sabbath day, and maybe turn it into a whole week and where that whole week is about simply reflecting on Who God is, what He has done, bringing to remind in remembrance those things. Who did you used to be before God? What hope did you have in your life without God? What was your life looking like before you encountered Jesus? And let those things well up, thanksgiving and praise. One of the the most toxic and, and perennial things that humans encounter is we forget we forget what God has done. We forget what life was like before him. We forget what life looked like on our own strength and the mess that we were making it. That's why all over the Bible, all over the Psalms, God says, remember his goodness. Remember his promises. Remember what he's done. And that's the whole point of this. It's a week-long party just to simply say, remember what God has done and let that Remember it and reflect long enough until what's welling up out of you is free will offerings of thanks and praise. Oh, I remember God. I remember what you've done and it's so sweet that I give I can give a free will offering of thanks and praise. I've got a song to sing about who you are. The message is quite simply if you don't have a fresh song to sing about the goodness of God, it's not because God has changed. It's because you forgot. Remember what God has done. Take that time out of the busyness of life to get in that, that holy space of gratitude, of praise, where you remember what he's done to the point where it's filling you up again with gratitude and praise. And that really becomes the rhythm In the rest of this chapter 23 of Leviticus, the party chapter of the Bible, God goes on. That was just the first one. And then God goes on to describe five more different feasts that have their own nuance of a way in which, a genuine way in which we can give God thanks and praise for who he is. Another famous one is the, is the Feast of the First Fruits. The First Fruits. And you think at that time it's an agrarian society. Most people are subsistence farmers. They're, they're <laughs> to stay alive another year is a mighty victory. To not have you know, frost and, and famine undo them is a, is a mighty victory. And so when you live another year, And you give God the the first fruits of your crops. That is, and you take a whole week, again, off of work in order to offer God the first fruits of your harvest. It is a recognition, this is where that great Jehovah Jireh, my provider. It's a recognition that every good thing I have in life is a gift from God. God is the one who ultimately provides for me. You fast forward into the teachings of Jesus. This is all of Matthew 6 where he says, "I know, I know it's so tempting to worry about where's your next meal going to come from? Where are you, what are you going to eat? What are you going to drink? What, what clothes are there going to be clothes on your back? You're gonna have a roof over your head. I know but he says, you know what? I have a totally different way of doing it. The unbelievers chase after these things with anxiety and, and, and you know, the, the bread of anxious toil, worrying about their life, worrying about their future. And Jesus says, I have a better way. Fear not, my children, my little children. It is your Father in heaven's good pleasure to give you his whole kingdom. So seek first the kingdom of God and everything will be added unto you. It's the same exact heart as Leviticus 23. It's that we can choose to go through life on our own strength, worrying every single day about the future, about our life. I love how Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Well, what part of my life? Your life. Well, what about this thing? It's really hard. Your life. You know, like he named some specific things, you know, like about the provision of, like, am I going to have enough food? Am I going to have enough clothes? Am I going to have shelter? And Jesus says, yeah, all of those things and your life. So it's like anytime you're worried, that falls under Jesus' grace filled umbrella of your life. Another way to put it is, there's nothing in your life that's outside of God's care. There's nothing in your life. That's too small for God to have his eyes on. In fact, he said it, Jesus said it like this, that even when a little sparrow falls to the ground, and those were like worthless little things, like kind of, you know, just this, this critter that there's a million of. There's all sorts of sparrows. They, they sell for a dime. They're kind of worthless. And Jesus says, if even God knows when a sparrow falls, and how much more valuable are you than they? You don't need to worry about your life because I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. And so this is that rhythm of life that God is calling us to live into, and he's calling us to make it into a party. So rather than us fretting about life and worrying about life, Jesus says, I've got you, And, and, and the whole idea is, and look back into your past. Look how I have provided for you in the past and know that that's my heart to continue to take care of you and provide for you in the future. And as you seek first the kingdom, it's actually just gonna get better and better and bigger and bigger. But there's the responsibility on our part to celebrate well so that we don't forget. I mean, this man, this gets convicting. Because it's like, I feel that stress at times about this and that and that all under your life. And it's just, man, Jesus is so, it's so inspiring and convicting and encouraging all at the same time. Where Jesus is saying, hey, come on, man, I've got you. I've always had you. And it's like, it takes that remembering. Look back in how I've provided. Look what you're worrying about. You're worrying about the same stuff that you worried about five years ago and ten years ago, but look where you are. I've provided the whole way, so can't you trust me that I'm going to continue to provide? And, and we do that by slowing down and being intentional to think about these things. That's what God's trying to get us to do here in these parties. It's slow down. Take the time to think about the ways in which God has provided for you, has taken care of you, has been that Jehovah-Jireh, my provider. And as you remember those things, what begins to well up is thanksgiving. Oh, wow. I remember now, God. Thank you that when I had like this exact same stressful situation, but 10 years ago, you came through then. Ah, oh, be at peace, my heart, because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and you're going to come through now. And that's but they, those things are necessary through making time to celebrate as a way of life. God goes on in the chapter of Leviticus 23 to talk about the feast of weeks, the feast of trumpets, the feast of atonements, the feast of, of booths. But all they all have a absolutely similar thing. Those things all were attached to the testimony of the people of Israel. Each one of those different celebrations was a nuanced way in which God had revealed his nature and character to them along the way of their spiritual journey. And so it was very personal. That's why some of them were like, oh, that's kind of weird. I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't I don't relate as well. And part of that is just because it's 3000 years removed of cultural traditions that's for most of us not ours. But but the the principle is there. And part of the reason we don't connect as well is because it's not our own personal testimony. Now, there's a way to overcome some of that by getting into the truth of what God is saying to celebrate and being able to relate that, oh my goodness, I, I, I know how to relate that. Jehovah Jireh, you know, the, the feast of the, of the booths where they're out there and they build some tents to demonstrate God's provision out in the wilderness and where they lived in tents and God provided manna and he provided the meat and he provided the water. So it's a similar uh, remembrance of God's faithfulness to provide in the wilderness. So that's easily relatable once we get into it because the question is just in the same way when you were in a wilderness and you thought you were lost and you thought God had abandoned you, how did God take care of you and provide? Give him praise. Give him glory. Give him thanks. But in all of these things, the the principle behind it is very simple. Thanks and praise are to become an absolute way of life and a way of life that is passed down to the next generation. That's one of the things, that's another theme that you'll see all throughout the parties that God calls his people to live as rhythms of life. It's about passing it on to the next generation. How does the next generation know that God is real? If you don't tell him. How does the next generation know that God provides if you don't have stories to tell? How does the next generation know that God is personal, powerful, present? present? God does miracles. God loves us better than anything else. God provides a joy that is greater than any other party in the world. You don't, know, you don't need to go to the parties and seek that empty happiness because God is so much better. How does the next generation know if you're not living it out and telling them? Your testimony will become their initial experience. And that's a huge aspect of why God calls for these celebrations, these parties, to be a regular way of life. So that we can tell, not only do we sit in it for our own sake, to remember what God has done, so that we begin again to overflow in thanks and praise, but then out of that fresh new song, from our heart, we have a genuine testimony to pass on to the next generation. Not a, not a fake testimony, not someone else's testimony, not a hey, let's just go through the, the rhythms of this of this festival and, and and lose its authenticity, but with a genuine heart on fire, with a fresh song to sing about how awesome God is, we pass that on to the next generation. That, in fact, was one of the key things that Jesus, while on earth, went after the Pharisees about. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So God doesn't want us going through the motions of these parties and festivals just as religious activities so we can you know, get a little bit self-righteous and feel better about ourselves and put a notch on our belt that, oh, I'm a religious person. Jesus says that means nothing to me. In fact, that's he's offended by that. You honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He just wants our heart. And so these festivals are not meant to just go through religious motions. They're, they're meant to capture our heart again. And we need that. Because this world is coming at us with all sorts of different attacks that, that try to call into question God's goodness. They try to call into question God's promises. That try to make us forget the provision that God has already brought into our life that is, should be above and beyond what we can even ask or imagine, how good he's taking care of us, first and foremost, with the cross of Jesus Christ. If we're ever feeling like God hasn't done enough for us or hasn't come through, that's why we go back to the cross. That is always the answer, that God has done more for us than we could ever possibly ask or imagine or deserve. That's what Romans 8.31 is all about. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how how will he also with his son not also give us everything? If you believe in the cross of Jesus Christ, then you believe that God has done more for you than you could ever possibly imagine or deserve. And so you could always come back to that. That's part of why we took the Eucharist together last week. Why we celebrated the Lord's Supper. Why we said come back to the Lord's Supper regularly. Eucharist means thanksgiving. Why we just come back to, it's the body and blood of Christ that is our anchor of thanksgiving. No matter what is happening in life, it's the demonstration and declaration that he has overcome this world. And we are part of his family. And heaven is coming like an unstoppable freight train. And so we always have something to be thankful for. So these celebrations are meant to become a way of life. Another little analogy that helps me is these festivals are like the training wheels, where by doing them often enough, we are training our brain in remembrance and praise. Romans 12.1 talks about renewing our minds. Don't be conformed to this world. It's all about complaining and what you don't have and the lack and the hardship. Renew your minds. Don't be conformed to this world, but renew your minds. May your minds be transformed with the will of God, the goodness of God, so that we are a people of thanks, we are a people of gratitude, we're a people of praise, and it's not one time or one day a year, it's truly a way of life. As Colossians 3:17 says we've been looking at that verse the last couple weeks whatever you do in word or deed do in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God See that's talking about you are your own little personal party all the time You're just a walking party You're a walking little taste of heaven because you are already in heaven. As Colossians 3.1 says, you're already raised with Christ. So set not your mind on the things of earth, but the things that are above. You're already there spiritually. And I'm not trying to be weird about this, but that's the reality of the spiritual world is so much bigger and greater than the physical world. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants us to learn to live in this life from that spiritual world where we have everything in Christ and every blessing in heaven is already ours in Christ and we're already seated with Christ in victory and 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 that spiritual reality by the Holy Spirit connects us to something that's, that is future. It is heaven. It's coming, but it's so real. It's somehow already now and it fills us up and transforms us to go out and live in the world with thanks and praise, because we're already encountering heaven. Because what heaven is, is just more of him, all of him. And he is available right now. And so that's where this Colossians 3.17 says, okay, hey guys, you know those festivals and everything, they were meant to teach you to party? That's what they're for. They're meant to teach you to party, to, to learn how to live in a lifestyle, a way of life of thanks and praise. And now, fast forward to the New Testament, and it just gets bigger. It's basically, you never stop the party. Maybe in, your, in, your, in our imperfection, in our, inhuman, or our humanity, it's still good to set aside those times to party, because like the people of Israel, we're still prone to forgetting But the goal is that more and more, Colossians 3.17, in whatever we're doing, word or deed, that's one of those nice umbrella pictures, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, as you're doing it, Thanksgiving is flowing out of you because you are in your own little personal heaven bubble right now because God's so real. And God wants us to grow into that. I mean, that's such a better way to live praise and gratitude is so much better than grumbling and feeling abandoned by God. I don't know where God is, and I don't know what I have to be thankful for. I don't want to live like that. I want to live like this. In whatever I'm doing, I've got some thanks. I've got a fresh song on my heart, a new song, because God has made himself real to me in this and this way, and so I've got a little song to sing. In increasing measure, And now kind of reverse engineering it, how to get there is to go back to this idea that celebrations, these holy parties, remembering what God has done and who he is, that well up, thanks and praise, is meant to be a way of life. So I want to close with the challenge. Can we take that party chapter of Leviticus 23 and say... This was good news for God's people, to make celebration as a way of life. How can I do that in my life? How can I live out this Sabbath rhythm of life? I'm not better than them. I need it too. How can I live out this Sabbath rhythm where I and my family and close community are intentional about putting into the calendar various ways to just slow down from the busyness of life, put ourselves in that childlike posture of joyful receiving of God's goodness that that results in freedom and playfulness and thanksgiving and praise. And how do we do that regularly? And and let me speak to real quick what what I just said about if we are posturing our hearts correctly before God and receiving of His grace, the overflow will be what Jesus called that childlike, light hearted, playful praise. If we don't know how to posture our hearts in that childlike manner, where playful, joyful praise, light hearted, thanksgiving, light and easy yoke, comes forth, we're missing out on so much of the nature and character of God. I mean, I'm a 43-year-old man with lots of responsibilities, but I am absolutely in love with God the Father who puts in me such a, a, a posture of childlike receiving where he's in charge. He's the one with the strength. He's the one with the majesty. He's the one with the glory. He's the one that says, let you learn to live in a light and easy yoke where it's not your strength, it's mine. And I am absolutely in love with childlike, playful joy. I'm in love with God who gives me that freedom. Why? It is heaven. It is heaven. Isaiah 61, no, 66, 12 and 13. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of nations like an overflowing stream, and you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I, God, will comfort you. You shall be comforted in, as you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. That's a prophetic picture of God comforting his people for all eternity. This is a picture of heaven. This is a picture of the promised land being ultimately fulfilled. My favorite picture is where God is saying, yeah, at the end of the day, in all of heaven, you're just going to be like a little kid bouncing on a mother's knee. You better not ever get too cool to bounce on the knee or else you're missing out on the nature of God. That is a serious reality, especially as, maybe as men, maybe as responsibility increases, this is not in any way to say, don't be, take on responsibilities. This is saying, from what posture does it flow? And this right here, there there is such an unbelievable freedom that can be had in just letting God be on the throne letting it be God's strength. Why does a mother bounce her child on the knee? There is no purpose for that whatsoever other than joyful play. To see the child smile. To see the child smile in free play. There's no other purpose. And God says, for all of eternity, that's the nature of me you are going to be getting to know. So why not now? So I am 100% convinced that maturity in the Lord, childlike play. It's not the only thing. Not the only thing at all. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy. A childlike, playful joy. we got to practice that. we got to practice that by putting in festivals that say, I'm not responsible for my ultimate provision. I'm not responsible for my salvation. I'm not the one that can save my family or save the world. I'm not the source of power in my life. All of those things are you, God. And as I commune with you in that childlike way that Jesus said, then actually I get filled up to be, to have your power flowing through me in my life, but I never leave the childlike posture of joyful play because you're bouncing me on your knee for all of eternity. So let's start now. Teach me how to play out of a place of utter trust in who you are. So those are some of the things that, and reasons why the challenge is, are we building this into our life in celebrations. Our culture does this for us decently well. Thanksgiving, and our culture celebrates Thanksgiving. That's good. (laughs) Christmas, our culture celebrates Christmas. That's good. Easter, yes, please. (laughs) The resurrection, let's celebrate. But one of the most joyful things that I believe we can experience in life is... And my wife and I have been working on this for years. Is what are the ways in which God has so been personal and powerful and present in your life that you make that now into your own sacred family festival? And, and, and have fun exploring the adventure of adding family festivals. You know, so so Sabbath is an absolute holy thing in our family where our kids hold us accountable. If we've kind of, you know, just, oh man, really busy working. I love it when my 10-year-old's like, isn't today family Sabbath? (laughs) Ah, yes. I I was just, the time was a little off. Yes, it is. Okay, no, no work. And he knows, because it's like, what is, that's playful time to stop, to celebrate, to thank God, to enjoy life. Or we've got the catchphrases in our life. Father-son time. That's a It's a holy celebration to where my kids again. We need some father son time. Oh man, passing the ice cream shop. Oh, some father son time. They know the the holy buzzword, right? But I'm so glad they do because it's like I'm teaching you, you are valuable. Or, or you know, whatever it may be. From my 17 year old turned, he's almost 20 now. When he turned 17, we took him to a rite of passage as a man. So got together about 10 of his closest friends and spiritual fathers and uncles in his life and it was a rite of passage into manhood and what we talked about is we thanked God for who he was and we I had each of the guys I I told them each come with the prophetic word for my son who do you see God creating him to be and would you bless him with that and so we sat around the fire and just for 17 year old boy to say your community is recognizing you as a man recognizing you as a man of God. We're going to celebrate that right now. We're going to thank God for that. We're going to praise God for that. Here's the things of of God that we see in you. And so I'm just giving examples of these flow out of the personal relationship with God. So for all of life now, we have this privilege. Are we learning to celebrate well? so that thanks and praise just become a way of life? Are we learning to take all the good things that God has done and commune with him in such a way where he is the ultimate party, and then we turn that back up into thanks and praise and pass it on to the next generation, and it just becomes a way of life? I'm going to pause there for now and encourage you to take a lift note home if you don't have one, and there's a few questions at the back that are just a little bit of a template that can help you walk down this road of, in your own life, (laughs) becoming party people, becoming people that learn how to capture the goodness of God, to celebrate, to remember. And what that does is helps you encounter God afresh and, and even more and pass it on. And as we do this, we become those people that whatever you're doing, you're giving God thanks as a way of life. Let's pray after my wife comes up and closes our time. She brought red cups.
1: <laughs> empty red cups. <laughs> that was really funny. We, we were both just, we ended up next to each other at the party, and we looked at each other, and we each looked at the, we were looking at each other's empty cups that never got filled because as soon as you walked into the party, they gave you a cup, you know, assuming you're going to just fill it with beer and fill it and fill it. That was, I think that was the first and only party we went to. We just, you know, it was the first week of school. Let's just go see what these things are like. And we looked at each other, looked down at our cups, laughed, and said, let's get out of here. So, I meant
0: to, you fin- tried to kiss
1: me. I did not. I did not. That's not even true. We were best friends for a year and a half.
0: What? You're blushing? What?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, this guy needs more sleep. I feel great. Yeah, okay. All right. Anyways, we were actually best friends for a year and a half before any kind of boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. No kissing <laughs> before that. Um, I, I felt like God gave me an image as we were sitting here. And it was of um, each of us, just kind of inju- individually. It was this picture of us with a slingshot and a rock like David And we were pulling that slingshot back, pulling that rock back to hit Goliath. But the slingshot and the rock, our weapon was joy. The weapon was joy. The weapon was praise. And what's interesting is, what does David say right before he kills Goliath? He tells a story of praise. The God who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will himself deliver me from this Philistine. So it's the testimony, the Revelation 19.9, the testimony of Jesus, the story of what Jesus has done is the spirit of prophecy. So the the Holy Spirit comes to move, and to prophecy means to do it again. He's doing it again. You're foretelling what's going to happen. As we share the story of what he did, their power comes to earth as we sing his praises, as we stand in agreement with who he is and what he does. The kingdom of heaven breaks through into, in, into our circumstances on earth to usher in a move of God to move those mountains, to transform whatever needs to be transformed before us to make it into heaven, into what he purchased. So I just kind of wanted to leave us with that because sometimes, you know, we may be celebrating and it's we can be thinking, well, life is hard. This week for us has been really hard. He got a bad shoulder injury and has been in excruciating pain. I mean, to the point that, I mean, this dude has had broken ribs and some crazy injuries and he's a tough guy and he could scarcely function and breathe a few days ago because he was in so much pain. And um, painkillers don't work on him, which is interesting. (laughs) So um, anyways, even when there are difficulties that we are facing and we feel like there's a Goliath before us, take the time to get our minds in the right place. And during these celebratory feasts that we're having, you know, the celebratory feasts that we're having on Thanksgiving, we can take joy And be filled with hope and praise, knowing that as we declare the praises of who God is to us and what he has done, and as we rejoice in that, that we are taking that rock and pegging Goliath right between the eyes and we can rejoice and say the God who delivered me from the paw of the bear and the paw of the lion will himself deliver me from this Philistine. And lastly, I want to close with this verse for us to meditate on. When I was uh, doing my women, one of my women's events, I felt like the Lord said to me that we were supposed to talk about joy. And then I heard him say the words, joy like me. And then he spoke John 15, 11. And I forgot what was in John 15, 11, and I looked it up. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus himself is a man of joy, and he has a fullness of joy that he wants to pass on to us. So as we are transformed, 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, as we are transformed from one degree of glory to another into his image, that means that we are transformed to be people of joy and to live in a fullness of joy like like he is, like to be like him. He is full of joy. And so even when Goliath is in front of us, we need to learn to practice joy by recounting who he is, declaring his praises, and declaring that, that with joy, um, what's, what's the verse again? I'm blanking on it um, as if it's already happened. Mark 11, 22. Yeah, Mark 11, 22, say it. <laughs>
0: uh, totally blanking at the moment.
1: Anyways, the gist, the gist of it is hey. pray as if you already have it, as if you already have have it, and it will be done. There, there's a faith and a praise and a joy. So we're just going to say amen. Yeah. I
0: will sing a new song. I will sing a new song. I will dance a new dance like David.